Amen. Good singing this morning. Good to see a good group here, good crowd here at a 930 service. And I'm thankful that you're here. Open Bibles, if you would please, with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. April was a great month for our church, and I praise the Lord for it. Praise the Lord for what he did here in our midst, and it was our spring campaign. started with Easter, Easter Sunday, and then we went to invite year one. We had guests here on that day, and then Gospel Sunday, we gave out 500 New Testaments, and we ran out. We had a lot of people, uh, several people, uh, need more that day, and even throughout the week asking if we had any more, but we gave all 500 of them out, and uh, I pray that you've taken those and given those out. I still get some uh, text messages and some emails uh, even uh, uh, a few weeks after that about people that are still doing that, so we praise the Lord for that. We had baby dedication day. I believe we had 15 or so uh, babies or, or children signed up, parents signed up for that. And last Sunday was our fellowship Sunday. It was a good day. Uh, I like it when everyone's together. And it shows us a few things, though. Number one is that we all can't be together every week. There's no room. We had people having to be in the lobby. They told me the lobby had uh, a lot of people in it, and uh, we just could not. We could not come together every week as one church. Um, we have to have two services. We added a couple hundred chairs in here and uh, still didn't have enough. And so I, I guess that's a good problem, and, uh, but uh, I like to be together. And uh, we met Matt uh, Gingery last week, and I hope that that was encouraging to you. And uh, pray for them. They, um, they uh, uh, already put an offer down on a house this past week, and it was accepted. And so they'll be here uh, June 1st will be uh, his start date here. Uh, and so just pray this will be a busy month for them, uh, just getting things, getting things all uh, worked out. Also, we had uh, uh, just some good attendance this past month. We had 900 or so on Easter Sunday, and we ended last Sunday with just under 700. And so uh, we praise the Lord for uh, just good attendance each week this uh, uh, past, uh, past month. And I like this. We saw people saved. That's what it's all about. We saw people trust Christ as their Savior. And uh, baptismal waters were stirred. We were able to baptize uh, folks as well. And um, so it was a good, good month, good month. And I praise the Lord. I really praise the Lord for it. I read an article, I mentioned it maybe last week or so. I read an article from a retired pastor. And they asked this retired pastor, what, um, what would you do differently? What would you do differently? If you had it to do all over again, what would you do differently? And he said this, he said, I'd, I challenge my people to pray more. And I challenge my people to get in God's word and develop a deep relationship with him every single day. I've thought about that often, and it was a lengthy article. He said, I, I'd emphasize every day, every time I was with them, I'd emphasize, get into the word of God and know God. It's not enough that we just gather together on Sundays, but every day to have a personal relationship with an almighty God. Learn to hear his voice. We better understand who God is, and we would better understand his desire for us. 
he said this, in doing this, and deeper prayer and deeper Bible reading and Bible study, we'd, we'd obviously then have a desire to share the gospel. I think the closer you get to God, the more you want others to know God. Would you agree with that? The more you realize what Jesus Christ has done for you, the more you want to tell others what Jesus Christ can do for them. And so a deeper understanding, a relationship with God, we'd share the gospel more. We'd die to ourselves and die to our lusts. We'd love those around us like God does. Well, this is good. We'd forgive. We live in a world that just holds grudges, fights. One thing I, I don't like, I, I love our country. I love our country greatly. What I don't like, though, is the, when it gets to come around election time, I don't like what our country looks like. The fighting, the, the, just the, the things that are done, it's so ugly. It ought not be that way in, the, in Christianity. It ought not be that way in our church. We ought to have a forgiving spirit. He said the closer we get with God, the more our people would spend in prayer, the more of a forgiving spirit we'd have. He said we'd live a, a life of faith, ever trusting in the will of God, and learning to recognize that still, small voice of God. That's where every Christian ought to desire to live. And I want that for our church, and, and I know you do as well. And we come, we come out of a great month, great month. Every week, it just seemed like we saw God work, and we come out of a great month. And today is the first day of, of this month, of May, and I, knowing that we're going to come to this table in just a few moments, I want us to just take some time and dig into the Word of God here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and prepare our hearts. Jesus said this twice in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul referencing Christ. And he said this to his disciples on that upper room. He said, this do in remembrance of me. This do in remembrance of me. He says it in verse number 24. Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. For what reason? This do in remembrance of me. In verse number 25, after the same manner also he took the cup. And he had supped saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Every time we come to this table, we come to this table to remember Christ and what he did for us. We celebrate or we come to this table, the Lord's table. Some call it communion. Some call it the Lord's Supper. Some call it just the Lord's table. Whatever you might refer to it as, it's a time where we come and there's, there's juice and there's bread that we partake of. And we do it in remembrance of Jesus Christ, in remembrance of him, what he did for us. He died on the cross. He shed his blood. In this Lord's Supper or Lord's Table, communion, it's more than just a, a quiet, rich, spiritual experience. It's a time that we come as a child of God. And we humbly come and we realize what Jesus Christ went through so that we could be redeemed back to God. What a wonderful thought. The redeemed back to God. 
I often think of, of heaven, different reasons. I think of heaven as I read the Bible. I think of what heaven's going to be like. When I think about my dad every so often, I talked to my mom yesterday, and, and uh, in my phone, I, I, still, I still have dad. I, I, I've not changed it to, to mom. I still call dad, even when I call my mom. I, I've changed phones, and I still keep it that way. I don't know why. I just I like to remember him. And I think about him. I think about heaven. When I think about him and I think about heaven, it causes me to think that if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, I would not see him again. But he knew Jesus Christ as a Savior, and I've trusted Christ as my Savior. And there's going to be a great, glorious reunion in heaven, and that's going to be a wonderful day, but it's because of Jesus Christ. What he did upon the cross, the pain, the agony, he took my sin and your sin. So he could be redeemed back to God so I could spend eternity with those that I love here on this earth. And Jesus did that. So as we come to this table, I just want to give you a few challenges here that we find from this passage of Scripture. And then at the end of the service, we'll partake of the Lord's table. I want you to read along with me, if you would, please. We'll begin, begin reading in verse number twenty. Let's begin reading in verse 17 this morning. 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. 17. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. Wouldn't that be wonderful if Paul said, I heard there's divisions, but I, I'd never believe such a thing? Not you people. You got it all right. No, he's... He's speaking, he's writing to a church that they're saved, but they're living a carnal life. They're living in sin. They're not living a, a life pleasing the Lord. They're living a life of divisions. They're living a life of, of, uh, of lust and sin. And he's writing to them to correct that here. And he specifically begins to talk about the Lord's table. He says in verse number 19, For there must be heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, every one taketh before other his own supper. And one's hungry, and another's drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? He says, I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. That the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as oft as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of this bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. 
For if ye would judge yourselves, ye should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. I want you to write this down, please. I'm going to give you five things quickly this morning so that we have enough time at the end of the service for the Lord's table. I want you to see this as we get into this passage of Scripture, as we study what Paul is speaking and teaching to the Corinthian church here. He's challenging them to see the the true image of yourself. As we read verses 24 and 25, we realize we're not that fine, upright person that sometimes we see ourselves being. What Paul is showing us is that we need Christ. We need a Savior. Sometimes we live life, and, and, and I think it's probably human nature. Sometimes it's easy for us to see the bad in others and not necessarily see the bad in ourselves. And we're quick to judge others for what they're doing. And we live a life that uh, maybe there's some things that we ought to be, ought to be uh, 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 changing in our lives. You know, sometimes we get upset with other people for doing certain things. And how we behave in response to that is just as wrong as the person that's living wrong. We don't see it when it's ourselves. We don't see the sin. We don't see the the uh, 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 the wrong in our own eye, uh, our own selves. We can so quickly see it in others. But as we see the Lord's table, we're not looking at what others are doing. We come to this table to examine ourselves. We come to this table to look in our own hearts. We come to this table to to see who we are in relationship to Christ. You know, sometimes if we're not careful, we can even look at what somebody else is doing and we can say, I'm not as bad as that person, so I must be okay. I don't do as they do, so I must be okay. And sometimes maybe the other is true. We look at someone else and we say, I'm not as good as that person, and so I can't live up to what I'm supposed to be. But we're not to to compare ourselves to others, but what we're supposed to do is see ourselves in who Christ is. We read this passage of Scripture. We realize that we are the ones that are responsible for this broken body and for this shed blood of Jesus Christ. Because of your sin and my sin, Jesus Christ had to go to the cross. I had a conversation this past week with, with someone that I've been witnessing to and trying to share the gospel with. And, and so we, once again, we began to speak about the, the cross. And he said this, I'm, I'm such a, a good person. I try to always do good. And he said that to me on several different occasions as we spoke. And I, and I said to him this, I, I need you to understand that it doesn't matter how good you are. If that was what could merit you to uh, get you to heaven, merit salvation, then Jesus didn't have to come. And why would the Son of God come to this earth and in his body be broken and his blood be shed if there was another way to the Father? Why would he endure such agony? Why would he go to the cross? Why would he bear that shame? Why would he take your sin and become sin for you so that 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 payment could be made? Why would he go through all that he went through if there was another way? But the reality is this. Jesus knew there was no other way. When he prayed in the garden, he realized there was no other way. 
When he yielded to the will of the Father, he knew there was no other way in order for mankind to be redeemed back to God and in order for God to have his way, to have his desire that we were redeemed back to him, there had to be a blood sacrifice. Jesus had to go to the cross. It's your sin and it's my sin that put him there. The Bible tells us that we're a sinner. The Bible tells us there's no, none righteous, no, not one. In Romans 3.10, the Bible tells us that the, the, uh, for, all, for all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He tells us in God's word that every single one of us is a sinner. You know, there's some, unfortunately, there's some that believe this, that, that uh, they've not sinned that bad, and so they're okay. But the reality is this, just one sin, just one sin will keep you from heaven. Just one sin. Jesus came and died. If all you committed in your entire life was just one sin, but the reality is this, we know as human beings we've committed more than one sin. Others maybe believe this, that, that they've committed so much sin. They're, they're such a, a sinner. They, they've done such horrible, wicked things that they can't be saved. And maybe you're sitting here today and you think that's who you are. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the bad things that I've been involved in. And Satan has caused you to feel guilt and shame. I want you to know this. It doesn't matter how much you've sinned. It doesn't matter what you've done. The most vile act, the most vile, sinful act that's ever been done here on this earth, Jesus Christ, he took that sin upon the cross, and that sin debt is paid. We're all sinners. Every single one of us. The Bible says this also, that we are guilty of, of death. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3, the Bible says Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. You know this verse, the Bible also says this, that the wages of sin is death. When we come to this Lord's table, we must recognize that our sin is what put him there. The wages of sin is death. The payment that we deserve is death. But Jesus... I'm so glad when we say the wages of sin is death, we can just add those two words, but Christ or but Jesus, because of who he is, I do not have to suffer death for all of eternity. I don't have to suffer separation from God. I, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, I'm so glad one day I'm going to see my father again. One day I'm going to see those that, that I love that have gone on before me. But I know this, before I even want to see him when I get to heaven, I'm going to want to see Jesus. I want to thank him for what he's done knowing that I deserve separation from God, hell for all of eternity. Jesus paid that sin debt. Christian, as we come to this table today, our hearts and our minds, our thoughts ought to be on the fact of what Jesus Christ has done for us. That should put everything in our life in perspective. What in the world could you be so angry about with someone that you can't forgive them if you truly realize what Jesus Christ has forgiven you for? How could you hold a grudge if you realize what Jesus Christ has done for you? 
How come you can't reconcile a, a, a marriage? When you come to this place and you realize what Jesus Christ has done for you. How can you go any longer without talking to a loved one, a mother talking to a child, or a ch child not talking to a parent? How could we live that way as Christians when we come to this table and we recognize and realize what Jesus Christ has done for me? It puts things in perspective, doesn't it? it puts things in perspective. You know what I realize this as we come to this table, we're dependent upon God's grace. By grace are you saved through faith. The challenge here of the Lord's table is for us to see ourselves as who we are. We're sinners. We're guilty of death. And we're dependent upon God's grace, God's care, God's love for us, his mercy. I want you to write this down. Number two, the challenge that I find from this passage of Scripture is for us to live this transformation that we, we profess, that we ought to live it. I like that story, a woman whose husband had accepted Christ. He accepted Christ as his Savior, and, and she was asked, is it true that your husband cha has changed his religion? And she said, no, 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 no. He, he, he hasn't changed his religion, but his religion has changed him this time. He didn't just become another, another religion. He didn't move from one denomination to another denomination. No, this time he got saved. It changed him. Listen, Jesus is, he changes us. It's not just a religious experience that we have. He changes us. The Lord's table reminds us that we must live as to bear evidence of having been cleansed by the broken body and the blood that was shed by Jesus Christ. A Christian ought to live a different life. A life of where others see Christ in us. Listen, works won't save a person, but the evidence of your salvation is, is what you do. James talks a lot about that in, in, in his, his, his uh, epistle. He tells us much about, about what salvation ought to do to somebody. You don't look at somebody and, and say they're working their way to heaven or they're, do, they're a good person. Look at all they've done. They're saved because of what they do, they've done. No, we're saved because of what Jesus Christ has done. There's nothing I can do to merit heaven. Jesus Christ, he paid that price upon the cross. And because of what he's done for me, I want to live for him. I want others to know who Jesus Christ is. I want to be forgiving. I want to love. I want to, I want to help others. I want to live a life where somebody says there's something different about that person. And what's different is that person, you and I, we know Jesus Christ. And so as we come to this table, I ask you this as we prepare our hearts for this table. Has Jesus changed you? Does your life represent a Savior? That his body was broken and his blood was shed? I want to ask you this. Write this down as well. The challenge to remind the central theme of a Christian faith. The Bible says in verse number 26... 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. Listen, the church has no new message for our time. For men are still lost, and the way of salvation is still through Jesus Christ. There's a lot of talk, and I understand what they say. What's the vision for your church? What's the direction of your church? And it doesn't change. The vision of our church and the direction of our church is the same vision and direction that the church at Corinth ought to have. And that is this, Jesus Christ, the gospel. We can get busy as a church and we can add a lot of things to a calendar and we can try to meet different people's needs and we can get busy doing all of that. And if we're not careful, we can get busy doing a lot of good things and lose sight of the main thing that we ought to be busy doing. And that is telling a lost and dying world that Jesus Christ can save. We can get busy with activity and lose sight that people need to be saved. My kids were out last night playing and playing with the neighbor kids, and this is the ones that Chloe has given a Bible to and given notes to. And the little girl said, "You need to write a note to my mom, and this note needs to say, "Please let and said her little name stay at your house tonight. You know, stay over." We came. They came in last evening, and they were sitting at our dining room table and Chloe was just kind of moping. I thought she was moping because we told her she had to come in. And so uh, I was going to help her with that moping. And I said, so what's wrong? She says, I want to go back over and tell them that we have church tomorrow and see if they can come. I didn't get to tell them that yet today. And then she's sitting there and she's practicing. I hear her saying, hello, I would like to invite you to Monclova Road Baptist Church. We leave at 8.15 and you can come with us. And she's sitting there by herself, not realizing anybody's listening. And she's practicing what she's going to say. And then she says, Dad, do you think it's too late to invite them to church tomorrow? And then they begin to talk, a couple of them talking about vacation Bible school and Awana. And boy, how convicting it was because so often I spend my day doing things and spending time and enjoying my day and losing focus of, of as I'm living my day. I, 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 sometimes I, I put aside that I'm supposed to be sharing the gospel and here, here are just a, a couple young girls are, are convicting me as they're, they're enjoying their day and, and then they, they, they didn't want to forget that as we're enjoying spending time riding bikes and doing, doing cartwheels on the front lawn that those are souls that need to be saved and they're burdened to get their friends to church to hear about Jesus. burden to get their friends a Bible so they could read about Jesus. At what age do we lose that? What happens that, that doesn't become who we used to, what, who we are today, what a burden we used to have? 
I believe as we look at this passage of Scripture, we find as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we do show the Lord's death till He comes. What we're saying is to a lost and dying world, the message that you need, the message of our time, the message for this generation, the message is still lost sinners need the way of salvation, and that way is still Jesus. It hasn't changed. Fourthly, would you write this down, please? The challenge to partake in the right attitude. He says in verse number 27 of this passage of Scripture, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat of this bread and drink of this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. We believe this, that we ought to be partaking of this with the right attitude. That right attitude is based on that adverb there called unworthily. Unworthily. And Paul is not saying that any of us are worthy, but he does say that we can't partake, we can partake in a worthy manner. The right manner acknowledges the wrong committed. The right attitude forgives our offenders. Mark eleven twenty six 26 says this, but if we do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. We need to realize this as we come to this table that we are needing to come worthily or coming humbly before God, understanding that we're sinners, realizing this, that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to come to this table asking God, not, not getting saved every time we come. Once you're saved, you're saved. What we're talking about, living a life that's pleasing the Lord, not holding sin, not holding on to our lust and our fleshly desires, but coming to the table saying, Lord, forgive me. I want to be clean before you. I want to be right before you. Listen to me, Christian, that's also being right and clean before others. Forgiving others. And finally, this morning as we come to this table, the challenge, number five, is to make a self-examination. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, 28, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. I don't believe you'll find in anywhere here in this portion of Scripture, the Bible says this, if you're living in sin, let the cup and the, the elements here pass by. Now what the Bible says is to examine yourself, and then eat of this bread and drink of this cup. So let him eat of the bread and drink of that cup. That means this, when we come to the Lord's table, we're to examine ourselves and get right with God. Get clean. Some think, well, I, I don't want to eat unworthily because I believe what the Bible says, and so I'll just let this pass by so I won't eat unworthily. No, you're sinning by doing that. What you're supposed to do is come to this table, examine yourself. It's a way for us as Christians to examine our hearts, a reason for us to come and humbly come before God. God, is there anything in my life that I need to confess? Is there anything in my life that I'm holding on to? Is there any sin that is separating right now my relationship with you, is there anything wrong? Reveal that to me so that I can remember and be a part of what Jesus Christ, that body that was broken, that blood that was shed, I can remember today. Christian, 
Don't come to this table and just let it pass, thinking that living in your own sin is a better choice than being right with God. We need to examine our hearts, for if we judge ourselves, we will not be judged. In verse number 32, but when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with this world. I recently said to someone, why would you, if you're a child of God, why would you choose sin knowing that the creator of this universe is going to chasten you? I mean, an almighty God. If I just say to my kids, you're going to get a spanking, most of them just straighten up right away. I was joking around with, with Lily or Chloe last night when she was pouting. I walked over and my wife had some little wooden spoons, you know, that she uses. I said, which one of these can I use right now, huh? And she looked at me. When we are children, we don't want to be chastened of our parents. Why in the world would we want an almighty God to chasten us? Knowing his power and knowing his might. I mean, this is a God that nothing existed and he simply spoke and everything he said came into existence. But if you're a child of God and you choose to continue in your sin, what you're choosing is a chastening of the Lord. Oh, I plead with you this morning, examine your heart. Examine your heart. Take serious your relationship with Christ. Realize what Christ did. Realize that Christ went to this cross, that Christ endured this brutal beating, this brutal death. And if that wasn't enough, he took every single sin. A man who knew no sin became sin so that you and I could be redeemed. What Jesus Christ did for you. I'm reminded of this, this poem J.R. McBride, he wrote this short poem. In this broken bread we claim thee, bruised for us and put to shame. In this cup, O Lord, we thank thee, speaks our pardon through thy name.